Welcome everyone to this SWP TV live stream discussion on the US in revolt, Black Lives Matter and the power to beat Trump. Um, my name is Nadia Ibrahim. Um, I'm going to be chairing this meeting and I'm a member of the Socialist Worker Party. Um, and we have a great panel of speakers who are going to be kicking off our discussion tonight. First of all, I'm delighted uh, that we'll be that we are joined by uh, Virginia Rodino from Baltimore. Virginia is an activist with Marx 21 um, and the co-chair of the Maryland uh, Green Party and the co-convener of the Maryland chapter of the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance. So uh, welcome, Virginia. Um, we're also joined by Wayman Bennett who is a longtime anti-racist campaigner and activist, the co-convener of Stand Up to Racism and a leading member of the Socialist Worker Party. Um, and later we will be joined by Brian Kelly, who Brian uh, is number one, an author, um, but also a historian who's written extensively on the US um, and Brian's gonna be joining us from Belfast. Um, but last and certainly not least, I'd like to give a big welcome to all of you watching at home. Um, this live stream is brought to you by the Socialist Worker Party. Please keep sharing the stream. We're on, uh, we're live on Facebook, um, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, wherever you're watching from, give this a share so we can reach more people um, and widen out uh, this important discussion. Um, important because actually right now is a pivotal moment when it comes to the struggle in the United States. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement is showing no signs of slowing down, um, especially after the shooting of two black men recently by the police. Um, but at the same time as well, actually, the US election is fast approaching and it's giving rise to big questions uh, around the country, around what the country will look like uh, after November. On that, I want to come to Virginia first. So, Virginia, you're an activist in Baltimore and a member of Marx 21 in the United States. You know, it's three months on since the murder of George Floyd, and we've seen the return of Black Lives Matter to the streets of Wisconsin and elsewhere. What can you tell us about the recent episode? Well, I, thank you very much, first of all, for having me here. And I'm glad to be joining this panel again with Wayman and, and Brian. Um, I want to take a quick step back and talk about the backdrop to these more recent protests. And, and it includes six months of our experiencing the pandemic and its economic fallout, um, the mishandling of the pandemic, and including the outrageous number of deaths uh, due to COVID that were unnecessary, and that's being reported, um, and people are believing that, that um, all these deaths uh, could have been avoided. Um, the administration and the state's response to the first round of protests during the Black Lives Matter movement, where there were curfews put in place, um, which were defied and military like assaults on the white people of Portland who, and um, their courageous resistance and the media coverage of that, um, reopening then closing schools and universities, the wildfires fires in California and constant air quality issues throughout the state, hurricanes battering the south of our country, record high temperatures, and the calls for fundamental and at times revolutionary changes to the police force with the ruling class just ignoring these demands and instead attacking and defunding our post office, along with their promises to not count our absentee ballots and no promise from the administration not to steal the election, um, actually to force us to vote in person where we are 
risking our lives to participate in a broken system that has already been shown to fail us and to be stolen from us um, if we look at the recent past. So this is the backdrop and the overview of the most recent return to the streets. Um, along with that, rising on the heels of the Me Too movement, which exploded in Hollywood and throughout celebrity culture and then the sports world, it isn't too shocking, although it was terribly exciting to see black professional athletes leading national strikes and protests of the racism. We should remember that these athlete workers had also been caught up in the labor dispute, disputes around COVID and spent months negotiating with their management, their bosses and owners around health and safety issues while playing. Um, in the months before this recent killing. So one can assume there was already solidarity built among the worker players as union members. Um, this latest publicized killing of another black man by the police simply demonstrates that no matter how good the training might be of individual cops so that they become nicer, the institution itself is innately uncontrollable and was designed to oppress the working class, to serve the ruling classes, and is rooted in racist historical beginnings. And this recognition is no longer seen as radical, unbelievable, and the resistance against this institution calling to abolish it has only grown in its conviction that we can't reform the system. Thanks for that, Virginia. Um, now, at the same time, black people have been disproportionately hit by not just the COVID-19, but actually unemployment as well. You know, people are estimating that just over in just over the last week, um, another million people have joined the dole. Um, so I want to ask you, you know, how has huge unemployment and the COVID crisis affected the movement? You know, are you seeing class questions come to the fore? Yes, indeed. I mean, I mean, for all the aforementioned reasons I just mentioned, where climate injustice, reopening schools, inadequate health systems, and the current police state disproportionately impacting the working class and poor people of color, the movement for Black Lives is showing itself as a movement of the working class. I mean, we could look back even just in recent years, um, but about debates that were had during and after some of the other mass movements, such as the Me Too movement and the earlier March for Women's Lives, um, the environmental movement even. And there were questions and debates about whether those movements silenced anyone, if they included the most oppressed, if they only involved white people, and therefore, did they leave key issues of injustice off the table? Whereas today, the movement for Black Lives resonates so clearly and so powerfully around the world because it is so inclusive of the working class as a whole. And when the ruling class's response to the pandemic reveals that there is no debate on whether to bail out corporations and industry with trillions of dollars, no debate whatsoever, but there can be no agreement on whether to extend unemployment insurance to an already low wage worker and entire communities don't have access to COVID tests um, and they're afraid to go to the hospital if there's even a hospital bed available. While the president and his staff can be tested daily and flaunting the use of masks, telling people to inject themselves with poison, while at the same time they're defunding health organizations and defunding studies and research. With all of that and more, I think we are clearly seeing a class war on the streets. And ordinary people are no longer only seeing the cracks in the system, but we are finally seeing that we don't have to try and repair and desperately cling on to a structure that is crumbling, that's rotten. We don't have to rebuild that same system that just 
tears us apart and keeps us down and even murders us. We can together as a class build something that is new that actually serves our needs. And that is what the Movement for Black Lives um, today is doing. And so definitely uh, the question of class um, is, is pivotal and primary to the Movement for Black Lives. Thanks, Virginia. Um, I just want to announce uh, before we go on that there are over 200 people watching the live stream at the moment. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant, but please keep sharing the live stream, share it on Twitter, share, uh, share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram, Facebook, what have you. Uh, we want to broaden out the discussion and have as many people join us here um, tonight as possible. Um, but I want to come back to you, Virginia. Um, I'm really, you know, um, on the question of violence, you know, remembering the far-right gunman, Carl Rittenhouse. You know, it's been revealed that he attended a Trump rally in January. Um, and during his time in office, you know, we've seen how Trump has certainly whipped up and given confidence to the far-right. You know, are we seeing a rise in right-wing militias? Um, and what sort of threat do they pose to the movement? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the, the far-right, I think we've seen will emerge into the public spotlight when there are vacuums of leadership and without any true moral compass given by the ruling classes of either party um that's when the far right will emerge and will try to kind of take over and seep into our consciousness um but our movement is strong and it is responding to the attacks by the right wing with strength and political and moral conviction um but our challenge, I think, as a movement is not to be lulled into thinking that Trump created white nationalism and that the violence that they bring onto the rest of us um, is, is due to like one person. And if we can only get rid of him, the individual, that white nationalism will, will disappear and we'll, we'll have justice and peace. So I think we have to be prepared for the white nationalists uh, to adapt to a Biden presidency. So if Biden wins, um, they will adapt um, and they won't be attached to one racist in the White House whom we can all target. They may grow more diffuse, more fluid and grow into a presence that says, uh, we are the alternative to the swamp in DC. And so we can see that someone like Biden acquiesces and moves more and more to the right as politicians do. Um, so that conservatives and the rest of us will be pulled more to the right as well. Unless, unless there is a powerful counterforce on the left that does provide the real and actual alternative. So the challenge to our movements by the alt-right um, is to be the real alternative to the power base in, in Washington and elsewhere in our state ho houses in Congress, um, to be that real alternative um, because uh, the power base in Washington just will disappoint, as it always has. Um, it will deflate our movements. It will aim to deactivate our movement. And if we do not put forth uh, the real viable solutions that working class Americans believe in and see as an attainable and goal and understand that, that we are the key to that solution, as opposed to a politician who says they will do everything for us, then the alt-right becomes that viable solution unless we do this, unless we become the solution. So that's our challenge to show workers that our true power is as workers and as active citizens in the streets, taking what is ours and not as voters who give up our power to an electoral party that only takes our votes 
and gives us really nothing but misery and broken promises in return. Brilliant. Thanks, Virginia. Um, and, you know, in case there's people who have just joined the live stream discussion now, um, Virginia, again, is an, uh, an activist, uh, is a member of Marx 21 um, in the United States and uh, is an activist in Baltimore uh, involved with the Black Lives Matter movement um, and much more. Um, and we'll be hearing from her again in a bit. But for now, um, Wayman, I'm going to uh, come to you next. You know, in many ways, it feels like the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement that erupted after, after it has really shaken the world. Um, you know, the scale of the protests in America um, was immense. But even here in Britain, you know, it really felt like in every town and city, people are coming out and demanding justice. You know, in the wake of Jacob Blake's shooting as well, we saw the NBA and other sports stars boycotting games, um, demanding justice. You know, where do you think the movement is at? I think George Floyd was murdered on the 25th of May and it detonated an earthquake. And that earthquake is leading to a tidal wave of resistance across the world because racism is not something which is hidden, it's not a story, it's been exposed. What Virginia said is absolutely right. Racism is used to divide everybody. It's used by the ruling class to divide each and conquer both, as Frederick Douglass said. And what people are realizing is that this is the case. These are multiracial demonstrations led by black generals. And one of the things that's important is that the movement has continued. Despite the scumbag in the White House, the racist, the rapist, the, despite the, his threat of violence, actually the movement has actually stepped forward and that's the question that determines everything you see the most dangerous thing is when people are oppressed and exploited is that they don't resist because without their resistance there wouldn't have been the trial that's taking place on the 11th the truth is the police were put on trial if it was up to somebody like trump then they wouldn't be put on trial the reason why they've been put on trial is the mass movement has taken to the streets the mass movement has said that they will not be quiet Every movement faces this question. And where we are now is at a crossroads. Can we wait until the Democrats get in and solve the three different problems that we face? Can we wait while Trump encourages the level of racism and discrimination and white wing militias? Imagine a 17 year old black kid had gone across the state and shot somebody. He was allowed to take his weapon home. That would not happen. They would not be treated as a question of self-defense. You'd be treated as a criminal and a murderer and somebody who's supported by fascist ideas. And we have to understand that these questions coming from the top of society, coming from them is encouraging both racism across the world, but also resistance. Wherever you go and you say BLM or Black Lives Matter, actually people understand they have to take the side of the oppressed. And it's a dangerous moment for the ruling class because racism has been their natural tool. There was a natural tool from the Bacon revolts when black and white and Native Americans came together to resist against the British at that time, who invented the slave trade, by the way. People like Boris Johnson, they invented it. They live off the back of it. And we shouldn't forget it. Those people are connected to the inequalities that exist today. And that's the reason why they've been silent about Trump. They haven't said a word about Trump. And that's the reason why we have to look at that movement and say it raises many, many questions. It broke through the lie that you have to stay quiet. We broke through the lie that when they said the feds out onto the streets, that you have to stay quiet. And, and I think Virginia's absolutely right. It's so deep. It's brilliant that the tennis players and all the people came out and the football players and the Cubs came out. But what was more important was that a multiracial group of people from Portland, Oregon, from everywhere across the world 
took place and said that we demand justice over the question of racism, which, by the way, is deeply embedded in the question. It's in the DNA, not just of American capitalism, but world capitalism. And we, that's the reason why it has to be rooted out, because this question is um, a, a key question for the 21st century. If you don't challenge oppression, challenge what's happening over the environment, challenge the question of the warlike things coming out of Trump in terms of using racism to raise the question of why they should go to war or conflict with China. These questions are the questions that determine what happens to humanity. Mm. Well, as you said, Bowman, um, you know, there's no doubt that the movement has rocked the American establishment. You know, Trump's response has been to polarise um, the situation and actually meet the protests with aggression, um, which Virginia spoke about earlier. But obviously other elements of the ruling class, um, in particular the Democrats, have responded to the protests in recent months by saying things need to change. Um, but here we are, three months on. You know, What does the shooting of Jacob Blake um, and the recent protests tell us about how deeply ingrained racism is in US society? Well, the truth is that capitalism in America was set up on slavery and exploitation and the extermination of the uh, the millions of Native Americans that lived in it. It was brought with, as Mark said, with blood and grit into into society. And the idea, how do you get change? Why has there been any acknowledgement about Black Lives Matter? It's the second time I went to America where Mark, Michael Brown was murdered by the police. Um, now they said we didn't know what happened. It wasn't on film. We saw George Floyd being murdered by the police. That even under those circumstances, we saw the cold question of Carl Ritter being, uh, uh, you know, a man being allowed to shoot three people, actually shot somebody who was white, which tells you about how deep the level of racism is in America, how much they want to maintain, uh, the, maintain the, the maintain the inequality. But it's not an accident. Trump is deliberately using the tactic because of the weakness, because he's afraid of the mass movement. He's deliberately trying to use um, racism as his method. But also the fact that he challenged Biden and Biden got down on his knees and said, do I look like a fighter? Do I look like somebody who would, you know, riot on the street? Do I look like somebody who would do that? Actually, what he's doing at the same time is dissing the movement. He's telling the movement, you know, turn the other cheek, get down on your knees and pray and thank and fought in order for change. And actually what we have to do is put the mass movement much more onto the street. Each time in America there's been a backlash against the mass movement, it's been the Ku Klux Klan, the white citizens councils, and now today the white militias. They will not silence our movement because our movement in some senses, they have no answers to the problems that we face. Um, um, as Virginia said, um, the president suggested that we should inject ourselves with bleach and I wish he had done for himself and put that scientific theory to the test in his own body. And we've seen if he's, uh, what would have happened to his toupee on his head when he had done that, but he didn't do that. Um, and that's the reason why I say now that when you see those demonstrations taking place in the street, it's done something else. The police are not just seen as agents of maintaining law and order. They're seen as also oppressors. And I think the question of defunding them was raised by the movement, but can only be solved by the movement unless we keep pressing this question of how we actually bring about change and how somebody's brought to uh, brought to account for, uh, for 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 justice. And I think the only way we're going to get that is if we understand the question of class as well. And when class comes into it, it makes a big difference. You know, the Economist reported this question. It said since 1960, it said the position of black and Latino in Americans that they they earn 60 percent of the general wealth inside the uh, society. It's still the same. It has not changed. 
So you have racism and you have discrimination embedded in there, and I don't think it's going to change. And as Malcolm X said, show me a capitalist and I'll show you a bloodsucker. And that's the problem. At the heart of it is that question, and I'll, I'll stop there. Thanks for that, Wayman. Um, and for those of you who have just joined our live stream discussion um, and missed the introductions, uh, Wayman Bennett is the co-convener of Stand Up to Racism, um, a long-time anti-racist campaigner and a leading member of the Socialist Worker Party. Um, if you have just joined us or if you've been with us from the very beginning, doesn't matter, please do share the live stream um, on whatever social media you prefer. Uh, share it with your friends, share it with your family, um, and let's open up the discussion um, as widely as possible. I'm going to come back to Wayman in a bit, um, but for now I want to come back to Virginia um, and carry on, uh, carry on the discussion around the question of the Democrats, really, because one aspect uh, in all of this is uh, the role of the Democrats. You know, all of us want to see Trump beaten, um, but the November election also means that actually there's big pressure to line up behind Joe Biden. Um, so Virginia, tell us about uh, what you think of uh, Biden um, and whether he offers any real hope to the movement. Well, thank you. Uh, I mean, Wayman just gave the appalling example of, of how Biden, you know, reacted and, and his response to the movement. And I think we all can remember um, how Biden suggested instead of, you know, shooting to kill, maybe just shooting these black people in, in the legs um, instead. So, you know, so that's kind of what we have with, with Biden. And I, I'll go into it a little bit more and we can get into it in the discussion as well. But I want to um, take a look at actually recent activity by Obama, you know, the darling of, of the liberal left, um, who just recently um, in a, just a brilliant moment of demobilizing the movement, uh, he broke the players' strike. And he told black athletes to instead go and form a committee and so that they, you know, can go back to entertain him and us. And and so that's, you know, that's what we have with the ruling class and not many other people. I think Obama was probably the only member of the ruling class who could have gone to break um, the player strike and talk to the top black athletes and, and demobilize them and tell them, no, this is this is the way to go. And I think that's, you know, incredibly shameful. And this is, you know, this is the kind of behavior we get. I mean, let alone, you know, let alone Biden. Um, I think the important thing to do here is recognize it's just not about the individual. Um, although Biden and Harris have a terrible record and their platform offers, you know, nothing to concretely hold them accountable, accountable to post-election. Like, for example, uh, we in March 21, we're looking at, um, Okay, let's look at their their uh, position on immigration, and so we can, as we're talking to folks and and debating with them, um, we can say at least you know let's see what they've written, and and then we can hold them accountable after after the election and say okay they said they were going to do this, but you know they've got nothing in their platform about immigration except that you know families do need to stay together. Uh, but not that there needs to be reform of immigration. No, like families just can't be separated in separate cages, but they still could be in cages just, you know, just together. And so, you know, this is what we've got to, to work with. And um, uh, that's, you know, that's just one example. And, and, you know, we can discuss more about, you know, the, the severe shortcomings of both, of both Biden and Harris and, you know, just the appalling way that they that they hold up to uh, with identity politics and, and, and false representation here's you know, a woman of color, and so she's going to free all 
all women of color. And that's, you know, what, what um, the Democrats have always done. And it's a shame that liberals fall for it. So, I mean, I think we, we need uh, to, to take a different tact. I mean, you had mentioned I am um, the co-chair of a, of a state Green Party in the states, and the Green Party is running two social candidates for which I'll be voting. And the reason I'm an activist in the third party is because the two-party system is so corrupted. I mean, the electoral system is just completely, completely broken. And every kind of uh, micro issue within the broken electoral system is like a, a dissertation in and of itself. I mean, the problems with gerrymandering, which is racist, um, campaign finance, the electoral college and Supreme Court selecting our last few presidents. I mean, one person truly and factually and technically and practically is not one vote in the United States. Like when we say our vote doesn't count, it really doesn't count. So a, a vote for a Democrat is a wasted vote to not build an alternative um, to the corporate duopoly. Um, I found that most of the Green Party members are activists uh, within movements who hold no illusions that a vote for Biden is a vote for change or a vote for a Democrat is, is a vote for change. But Supporting the Green Party is not the most important argument here. We have to do all that we can to keep the focus on the incredible movement and its power and critique. We, we need to critique anyone or any systems that purposely attempt to de-escalate it. And uh, the de-escalation of movements has consistently been the work of the two corporate parties, but maybe mostly the Democrats. Um, and the only way to beat Trump and what he stands for is to continue to build upon this brilliant movement in our streets. That must be our focus. Thanks for that, uh, Virginia. Um, and I'd like to read out some comments uh, from people watching at home um, to this discussion. So first we have from Charlotte, uh, who says, it seems to me that Black Lives Matter is the united front at the moment, taking to the streets, facing down the white supremacists and growing stronger. Um, and then we've got from Joshua, um, for black and white, poor and working class Americans, both the Democrat and Republican parties are broken promise parties, parties serving only the rich and ruling class. And I think, you know, both those comments really echo um, a lot of what you're saying as well, uh, Virginia. Um, but now um, I'm going to come back to you now, Wayman. Um, you know, if Biden isn't the answer, you know, do the movements that have erupted in the last few months offer a different path? Um, and to be honest, more than that, you know, how can we actually build on the revolts we've seen since May um, and build a power that can actually beat Trump? I think the history of the movement is that it has to also take to the streets, but also connect with the struggles that have taken place, like the Chicago teachers that have taken place. I mean, there was a question asked by Bernie Sanders. He said, why should you tolerate a system that, of that privileges the profit making activities of a tiny minority over humanity? The only way to challenge that actually is the enormous power of the American working class that's multiracial, but also that's the reason why they use racism in particular. Margaret Mex always said this, and so did the Black Panthers. And really what we're faced with is a really dynamic and unfortunately difficult choice. People say to me, how can we stop Trump? The mass movement is the only movement that can stop Trump. Actually, after all, it was a mass movement that, you know, forced the American state to release um, slavery. It was a mass movement that gave us the civil rights movement. It was a mass movement that gave women the vote inside America. It is that mass movement that you have to depend upon, coupled with the power of something else, the working class in America. I was very heartened to see 
the Teamsters and the whole question about whether they should take action, uh, the longshoremen, they should take action in support of Black Lives Matter. It's a fusing of those two movements that matters. After all, when did they kill Mar Martin Luther King? They killed Martin Luther King when he suggested that poor, um, poor, uh, poor workers that worked for clearing the rubbish, black and white, should come together in order to get more wages. That's when they assassinated him, when he talked about both the mass movement also calling for um, rights over wages as well, when he tried to connect the two. This movement is necessary in America. When they talk about who's going to pay for the COVID crisis, who's going to pay for what's going to happen literally with people's lives, then actually there's an absolute necessity of unity in action over this question. Can this, can this movement itself win? Because I actually think there's, Donald Trump's a billionaire. He represents the party of billionaires. And sadly, so does Biden and Harris. They represent the party of billionaires. It goes back to this question. They couldn't even tolerate Bernie Sanders asking that question and putting him forward as a leader inside the Democrat party because they couldn't raise that question. Therefore, we have to go to the streets. Therefore, we have to work inside the workplaces. And literally, if we don't do this, it's a matter of life and death for those communities. Because in order to do that, they consistently use violence, whether by militias or by the police, to maintain the order. They always have done and they always will do. And, and that's the reason why we have to have confidence when multiracial people come out and fight together, then we are fighting for a better society. And I don't really think there's, there's a, you know, there isn't a choice in there. They, American Democrat Party was the party of slavery. It changed its face, but in reality, they were the party of the Dixiecrats. Um, I still think this duality exists there, and we just have to accept it, although it's a difficult thing to accept. And the only way to change that is by revolt, struggle, and change. That is the only method that's available to us. Thanks for that, Wayman. Um, now, I've got a question for both you and Virginia, and I'm uh, interested to hear what you both have to say on this. But before we continue, um, I just want to remind everybody again um, to share the live stream on Facebook, uh, on Instagram. Uh, however you can, uh, let's open out the discussion um, and have more people joining us. Um, but back to uh, the discussion at hand, um, I want to turn first to Virginia. So, uh, Virginia, you know, is there anything you think we can learn from the 1960s and the 1970s when the movement um, and the struggle against racism and all sorts uh, was confronted by serious violence from the states? Um, in particular, you know, in this period, they killed um, and assassinated Martin Luther King um, and Malcolm X and did the same to the uh, Black Panthers, absolutely decapitating the organization. You know, what can we learn um, uh, from those previous struggles um, and apply to the situation today? Well, I think we now have like five decades of, of recognition and experience of, of how the ruling class operates and um, how they turn things, you know, against us. So we see Trump today saying law and order and that was the main main focus of the rnc and that is now you know his his position and his his main platform because he didn't really have a great cohesive one um uh before these recent protests so um we have to stand up to that um and say that you know question what does it mean to have law and order what does it mean to have safety in our streets. You know, what is the reimagination 
the reimagining of what it means to to be safe and secure and is it with you know the state militias in our streets um is it is it these curfews is it with tanks rolling down um and and shooting us with water cannons and um pepper spray and and beating us and and we can see on video you know these same police um letting you know the white murderers just kind of walk away uh even now even you know last week we can see this um and yet we're still you know arresting assaulting and killing black people so i i think you know there's 50 years of of cynicism and and now questioning the st the status quo and what the ruling class is doing so so we have that experience and knowledge um to to build upon and what we can't do is turn against ourselves and instead of critiquing tactics within the movement um and in a in a uh in a really hostile way and um cutting off our noses to spite our face and and targeting parts of our own movement i think the spotlight needs to be kept on um the ruling class the trump administration and how they use our our fund the way we fund our police force how they use our taxpayer funded police force against us um so i do think that the calls to abolish the police um and how there have been many real successes across the united states around that um is truly revolutionary and so with that question in mind i mean we are questioning what really is violence and who is who is violence and who is creating the violence so i think we've learned that and so the you know the key is to not um be hostile uh, uh, against parts of our own movements and um and cut ourselves down and we have to keep the focus on the violence of the state so that's that's an answer in part but i can also come back to thanks for that um Virginia, sorry, Wayman, um, carry on. I'd like to hear your answer to that question well, as well. The truth, the truth is that it's, you know, it's the birthday of Fred Hampton and uh, one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party. And he argued why you needed a, a separate revolutionary party to challenge all injustices, to challenge women's oppression, to challenge the injustice of uh, international equality. Unfortunately, they did murder uh, Fred Hampton. They shot him down when he was inside his, his bed. Um, but he did leave an important legacy. He talked about the need for independent working class organization. I mean, one of the things that we've learned is that he wasn't sure if he needed a multiracial revolutionary party. Um, I think the lessons of the black, um, the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, demonstrate why you need a multiracial uh, multi movement. Also the Dodge Revolutionary Union movement that was founded around Detroit showed that when you connected that to the power of the working class, they faced less violence. When they threatened strikes, they faced less violence from the police because what the capitalists care about is how much money they make and what they can control. And I think this question of looking for alternatives and how people have to organize is important. One of the problems I think part of this is like identifying why, where racism comes from. Racism comes from the top society and is embedded into the nature of it. There's not, there's not an accident why president, um, if you call him a president, the scumbag in chief, uh, um, Trump made the speech outside um, Mount Rushmore. When you look at the faces outside Mount Rushmore, they, those people were slaveholders. It goes right deeply down into the way 
uh, capitalism was established in America, murder the Native Americans, use slavery in that way in order to build its wealth and deny continual waves of immigration from different people, exploit those workers. And nevertheless, actually the American dream the American, is an American nightmare for, 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 for many, many, many workers. How is it, how do you defeat such violence, overwhelming violence when they do? You defeat that by building a mass movement and also a leadership of that mass movement that confronts it. One percent of people in America still control the majority of its wealth. That's the truth. That's the dividing line. And they constantly have to use a prism of race in order to divide each to conquer both. And what we have to do is understand how you mask that mass movement with a question of how you defeat the far right and at the same time give hope to people about how you challenge an enormous corporate system that's been built on inequality. And that's the reason why the Panthers were formed. But we need a, a Panther Party, but a revolutionary Panther Party, if you like, that's multiracial, that's based on radical change in, in our society. That way, actually, if you give that kind of leadership, you can weaken and defeat those people that simply will not give you justice or equality. Thank you for that. Wayman. Um, I'd just like to say uh, we had hoped to be joined by Brian Kelly this evening, but unfortunately, um, Brian is having technical difficulties at home in Belfast um, and won't be able to make it. Um, so our apologies for that. Um, but I'd like to give a huge, huge thank you to both of our speakers, Virginia Rodino, who's joined us from Baltimore. A massive thank you to you. And I'd also like to thank Wayman Bennett as well, who is the co-convener of Stand Up To Racism and a leading member of the SWP. So a big thanks to Wayman as well. Um, and thank you to everyone at home um, for joining us with that discussion, sending in your comments, sharing the live stream. I think it's been a very useful and important discussion to have um, at this particular time. Um, and really, I wanna leave you with two things. Um, first, um, is to say uh, please uh, check out Bookmarks, the radical bookshop um, for you know books, not just by the likes of Brian Kelly, which are absolutely amazing, but all sorts of other radical authors um, and thinkers. Um, don't give your money to Jeff Bezos and but get your books from Amazon. Support a radical independent uh, bookshop and, get, uh, and arm yourself with the ideas um, and the politics to change the world. Um, but talking about the politics to change the world, um, I'd also like to invite you to join the Socialist Worker Party if you're not a member. Um, you heard not just radical politics here uh, this evening, but a radical vision for the alternative um, that we can live in um, and experience. And so, if you want to be a part for fight, if you want to be a part of fighting for that alternative world, alternative society, then join the Socialist Worker Party um, and fight with us together. Um, but in the meantime, uh, glad that the Facebook Lives are back um, and hopefully we'll see you again soon. But for now, stay safe, stay socialist and solidarity to you all.